From famous historical locations to lesser-known areas found in small towns, history leaves shadows that people today can still see. Let's find out their stories together on this episode of Historically Haunted. everyone and welcome to Historically Haunted. My name is Ariel and today's episode I will be talking about one of the most famous towns in the Old West, Tombstone, Arizona. But before I get into all that, I have some things to talk about. First of all, I hope that you guys had a wonderful holiday. It's 2021 and I don't want to jinx it, but I do hope that this year will be better than last. This year, I am looking forward to hanging out with you guys and bringing you some really cool new locations. I have a good list of locations from listeners who sent me suggestions and I'm going to start covering them starting off with the next episode. If you have a haunted location you would like me to check out, and do an episode on, please let me know by emailing me at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. I love getting emails from you guys. Since Christmas, I got some new Patreons. I would like to thank Katrina, Raul, Elise, and Dixie. Thank you all so much for your support. I talked about Doll Island on my last Patreon episode, and I hope that you guys had fun listening to that really creepy story. If you want to become a Patreon and get some bonus episodes along with the thank you card and some stickers of my logo, please check out my Patreon page and I have the link to that down below. All the money that I receive helps me pay for things like my host fee and other licensing fees so I can have music and sound effects on my show. Even $1 a month helps me out so much, so thank you everyone. After New Year's Day, I decided to give myself a mental break and take a week off of doing anything. I pretty much just sat in front of my TV and played video games that I got for Christmas. If anyone has played the Miles Morales Spider-Man game, it is amazing by the way. I love it. I finished it in three days because I stayed up late to finish it, and I'm now in the middle of the Avengers game for PlayStation 4 and I absolutely love it and I think it's so much fun. So that's what I've been doing. I took a week off just to, it was almost like 2020 just wiped me out and I needed to like mentally factory reset. But I'm back and now it's time to get this episode started. And for that, we will be going to the Old West. However, living in a ruthless mining town was nothing like we see in the movies. Working in the mines, especially back then, was super dangerous. Many miners were killed in mining accidents, and if they were lucky enough to live through the day, they would go into town for a drink and have to dodge bullets. Tombstone quickly got the reputation of being one of the deadliest towns in the West. Let's look at the real history of Tombstone and see why it is now considered one of the most haunted old western towns. But first, our monsters moment. Stories of encounters from strange beasts lurking deep in the forests, on snowy mountaintops, and in dark caves have been told throughout the generations, turning to legend. But what if I told you that many of these creatures are still spotted today? I call these monstrous moments, and I invite you to listen to this week's monstrous encounter.
Space Monsters moment is about a cryptid called the Thunderbird. If you haven't seen the movie Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and don't want me to spoil anything, skip ahead 30 seconds starting now. But if you have seen the movie, then you would remember that the whole reason Newt came to America was to free a rescued Thunderbird. He saved this magnificent bird from an evil magical creature collector who stole the Thunderbird egg from America and smuggled it to the UK. Newt was able to rescue this massive bird and wanted to set it free in the desert where he belonged, and in the end of the movie, he did release the Thunderbird back into the wild. J.K. Rowling did not make up the Thunderbird. The real Thunderbird has run deep in Native American culture for centuries. To know more about the Thunderbird, we have to look at the history of oral Native American stories and legends. The Thunderbird legend has been told in song, stories, cave paintings, and art in many tribes found all over Northern America. Today, we mostly think of these Thunderbirds living on the Great Plains, but the legend of the Thunderbird also shows up in tribes in American Southwest, East Coast, and the Great Lakes. But there have even been sightings of Thunderbirds in Canada as well as Alaska. I had a hard time finding if all tribes believed in the Thunderbird or if it was only shared by some tribes. So please keep in mind that when I'm talking about this Native American mythology, I'm talking about the tribes that do believe in the Thunderbird. And also the legend of the Thunderbird varies a bit depending on the tribe. So first, before I get started, I wanted to say that most people say the Thunderbird, but there's more than one Thunderbird. It's kind of like thought of as a colony of these Thunderbirds that live in a metaphysical space. You'll see what I'm talking about. So the overall view, according to mythology, is that Thunderbirds are seen as a powerful yet good spirit. And the size of these birds are massive. They're not your typical large bird. They're huge. They're like 10 times bigger than the largest eagle. The Thunderbirds are in charge of the upper part of the world and its job is to be in constant battle with the beasts that control the underworld, such as the underwater panther or the great horned serpent. When these evil beasts come into our world, a group of Thunderbirds will come to fight them off by throwing lightning and causing massive storms. It is also believed that when these birds flew over the landscape, the flapping of their wings created a large crack of thunder. And I'm about to try to pronounce some of these names, so please bear with me if I say them wrong. I'm really sorry. But the Menemese tribe from northern Wisconsin believe that Thunderbirds live on a great floating mountain in the western sky, and they controlled rain and hailstorms. While today people think of the Thunderbird as just a legend, people still claim to see them all over the United States and Canada. In 1977 in Lawndale, Illinois, a 10-year-old boy named Martin Lowell was outside playing when two giant-sized birds swooped down out of nowhere and attacked him. One of them even picked him up and carried him 30 feet off the ground. He screamed for help and started to fight off the bird while his mother came running out of the house to help chase the bird away. According to the story, many people saw this take place. There have been hundreds of supposed Thunderbird sightings, but another famous sighting took place in 1890 in Tombstone, Arizona. Two cowboys came into town claiming that they had seen a giant flying bird and they shot and killed it. Then they carried the creature into town. An article appeared in the Tombstone Esquire that talked about the cowboy's story. According to the article, the bird's wingspan was reported as having a 160-foot wingspan 
and the body of the bird was 92 feet long and 50 inches around in the middle. The only thing about this bird was that it had no feathers. Instead, it was reported as having smooth wing flaps. So think more like a dinosaur. We also have a little bit of what's called the Mandela effect going on here. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically when a majority of people have a memory and they all have a shared memory, but the memory doesn't fit the other half of the population. So the thing is, for this, it's like a big chunk of people remember seeing a photograph that is supposedly from Tombstone, Arizona, where it shows a bunch of cowboys lined up along a barn with a pterodactyl and they're holding a, like up the pterodactyl. The only problem is the real photo is gone. No one can find it, but yet people remember seeing it somewhere. Have you ever seen a picture of a bunch of cowboys holding hands, holding up a giant sized pterodactyl? If you have and now you look and all the photos on Google don't match the exact image you have in your head, then you are experiencing the Mandela effect. And personally, I remember seeing this photo. I do. I don't know where I've seen it. I remember seeing a picture a long time ago and now I cannot find the exact picture that I remember seeing. So it's very, very odd. Most people today think of the Thunderbird as just a legend, but it's very interesting that there are still so many Thunderbird sightings all over the United States and Canada. Personally, I would love to see a Thunderbird, as long as it doesn't try to carry me away for dinner. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick time out and ask you a question. Did you know that one in 10 people have dyslexia? You might even have it and not know it. Dyslexia is a learning disability that affects reading, spelling, and sometimes math, but it has nothing to do with low intelligence. I know because Einstein himself had it. Oh, and I have it too. Many people go undiagnosed, but it is important that you know the signs so that you can get help right away. The faster you know your child has it, the faster you can start doing things differently so that they can start thriving in school. And if you're an adult who also might have it, remember, you are never too old to ask for help. Please go to dyslexia.org to find out more or my website, historicallyhaunted.net, and click on the information about dyslexia tab. Okay, back to the show. Tombstone, Arizona had such a bad reputation that it earned the phrase, the town too tough to die. This town was full of miners, cattle rustlers, outlaws, dancing hall girls, and prostitutes. Gunfights happened so often that one of the best jobs in this town was to be the undertaker. Let's find out how this dusty town got its reputation as being the most lawless town in the Old West. In 1877, Ed Shiplin was in southeastern Arizona searching for silver. He spent some time at an army outpost located in the area and then decided to give the nearby Dragoon Mountains a try. Soldiers warned him that there would be nothing to find in those mountains except maybe his own tombstone. 
Ed struck silver, however, and named his mine Tombstone. A post office was founded on December 2, 1878, and a town grew up around his mine, which he also named Tombstone. The town is located in Cochise County, 70 miles southeast of Tucson. The official town site was laid out in March of 1879, and the lots were sold for just $5 each. Shortly after that, Tombstone had about 40 cabins and 100 residents. As word spread of the silver discovery, Tombstone became a boom town. In July of 1778, Ed and his brother Al sold their interests in their silver mines. Ed was an avid prospector, and he traveled around looking for more mine discoveries until going to Yukon Territory during their gold rush. Tombstone continued to grow along with the mines. By 1880, a visitor to town could find two dance halls and at least 12 gambling halls and over 20 saloons. But now we reach the reason Tombstone is one of the most famous towns in the Old West, the gunfight at the OK Corral. There is a reason that there have been movies made of Tombstone with actors portraying the glorified heroes Doc Holliday and the Earp Brothers. The real gunfight and the trial that happened afterwards makes you wonder if the Earp Brothers and Holliday are heroes or could they possibly be the villains of this story. Wyatt Earp came to Tombstone in December of 1879. He had hoped to start a new stage line but there were already two in business. Next, he chose to set up a gambling business with the owner of the Oriental Saloon. He also rode shotgun on the Wells Fargo stage line. Have you ever been with a group of friends getting in a car and one of them yells, I call shotgun, which means they get the passenger seat? This saying actually comes from the old term called riding shotgun, which referred to the guards sitting on stagecoaches that would have, well, a shotgun, and their job was to protect the people in the stage and the money that the Wells Fargo company was moving across the country. Wyatt Earp's brother, James Earp, opened a saloon. Their brother Virgil was already a deputy marshal around the Tombstone area, and Virgil had his brother Morgan work for him as a lawman. Their good friend Doc Holliday arrived in Tombstone early in 1880. Doc was a professional gambler. In 1881, there were about 8,000 people in the area. The population was made up of not only prospectors, but adventurers and outlaws. Tombstone became known as the lawless town of the West. The silver mines and the Tombstone area were the richest mines in Arizona. They produced between 40 and $85 million in silver. The population continued to grow and reached about 14,000 people in less than seven years. Eventually, there were 110 saloons, 14 gambling halls, several dance halls and brothels, a bowling alley, four churches, an ice house, an opera house, a school, two banks, three newspapers, and an ice cream parlor. One of the most popular places to hang out was the Birdcage Theater. The theater claimed to bring culture to town, but it was mostly popular for being a ruthless saloon, gambling hall, and brothel. The Birdcage Theater witnessed 26 deaths during its eight years of business, and there are over 100 bullet holes still in the walls and ceilings today. It was said that if you were a respectable woman, you would not walk on the same side of the street as the Birdcage Theater. Politically, there was a divided population in Tombstone. Most of the owners of the mines, lawmen, and the townspeople were from the northern states and were Republicans. The ranchers were mostly Confederate sympathizers and Democrats. The Clantons were ranchers and were also suspected of being cattle rustlers. The town was just 30 miles from the border with Mexico, so it became a perfect market for stolen cattle from Sonora, Mexico. 
There was a gang of cattle rustlers known as the Cowboys who stole cattle and brought them across the border to sell. In addition to cattle, alcohol and tobacco were also smuggled from Mexico to the United States because the Mexican government charged a high tax on these items. The ranchers were welcomed in town because they spent a lot of money, but due to their political beliefs not matching with the townspeople, this caused a lot of fighting and a whole lot of shootings. Honest cattlemen were known as herders or ranchers. They considered it an insult to be called a cowboy. Virgil Earp could not do anything about the cattle rustling because it was a county offense and it was up to the local sheriff to deal with. Let me explain the differences between the duties of a U.S. Marshal and a sheriff during the 1800s. A U.S. Marshal followed federal law and supported federal courts. They would arrest people who committed federal crimes and were in charge of prisoner transfers. The sheriff would handle crimes in their own counties. During this time, being a sheriff in a mining town would mean that you were rich. They made up to a million dollars a year. With all that wealth, it would be easy to see how a sheriff could be corrupt. Besides the obvious political climate, there was also a lot of tension between two factions. On one side, we had a collection of town's businessmen who were northerners. And then on the other side, we had a group of well-known ranchers and Confederate sympathizers headed by the Clantons and McClowry families. Sheriff Behan tended to side with the cowboys. The businessmen, including Tombstone's mayor, John Clum, hired the Earps and their friend Doc Holliday to help bring some law and order to town in December of 1879. To give you an idea of how bad the shootings were, a notable high-paying business job in Tombstone was being the undertaker. The Earps had many conflicts with cowboys from the Clanton and McClowry families. Another notorious cowboy in the area was named Johnny Ringo. The Cowboys threatened the Earps many times. A bad fire destroyed much of the eastern half of Tombstone's business district on June 22, 1881. It started when a lit cigar ignited a barrel of whiskey in the arcade saloon. They didn't have enough water to put it out, so buildings ahead of the fire had to be dynamited to slow the spread. It destroyed 66 businesses in the eastern half of the business district. And right after the fire, there was terrible looting, and the townspeople blamed the current marshal, Ben Sippy, and Virgil Earp was promoted to the main marshal of Tombstone. After the promotion, the cowboys got really upset because they had already had a lot of run-ins with Virgil and his brothers. At some point, to help decrease violence in town, everyone was required to disarm when they entered town. This didn't really work well, and there were still lots of shootings every day. On March 15, 1881, three cowboys tried to rob a stagecoach that was carrying silver worth $689,000 in today's money. During the attempted robbery, they killed a popular driver named Eli Bud Philpot and a passenger. The Earp brothers created a posse with other temporary deputies to try to catch the men, but they never caught them. Tensions continued to build between the two sides. Violence finally erupted on October 26, 1881 with the infamous gunfight at the OK Corral. Okay.
Okay, so before I get into the actual gunfight history, if you have ever seen the movie Tombstone, I'm here to disappoint you. And I'm sure that's where your mind just went. Before I did this episode, my mind went straight back to the movie Tombstone. And after I did all the research, well, there have been many movies made of this historic gunfight. But the most well-known movies is the original movie called The Gunfight at the OK Corral that came out in 1957 and the movie Tombstone that came out in 1993. There have been many movies made about this event over the years and here I come to disappoint everyone to tell you that the gunfights in the movies is not accurate. Like, at all. Actually, the real gunfight didn't even happen at the OK Corral. It happened in a skinny alleyway and lasted only about 30 seconds. Virgil, Wyatt, Morgan, and Doc Holliday went up against five members of the Clanton and McClowry gang. In just 30 seconds, Billy Clanton, Tom, and Frank McClowry were killed. Virgil was shot in the leg and Morgan was shot in the shoulder, but both survived. Instead of rising the big heroes of the story, the Earps and Doc Holliday were charged with murder and tried. The opinions in town were split. On one side, the cowboys were seen as innocent victims, and on the other side, the Earps and Holiday were justified in what they did and were just doing their jobs. What also makes this case so compelling is how different each defense was. According to Sheriff Behan and the cowboys' testimonies, before the shooting, Sheriff Behan supposedly saw trouble coming and ran down to the Clanton boys trying to get them to surrender their guns. One man in the group refused, and the other four showed that they had no weapons. Then the sheriff ran back up the street when he saw the three Earp brothers and Doc Holliday coming down the street towards the OK Corral. He ran up to them and reportedly yelled, I won't let there be any trouble. According to Sheriff Behan, the party kept walking and the sheriff called after him, I've already disarmed them all. But they ignored him and kept walking out down the street and came upon the Clanton gang in an alleyway ready for a fight. Here is where the Clanton's testimony pick up the story. They claim that the Earp brothers and Doc knew that they didn't have any weapons. And as they showed them the inside of their vest to prove it, they were fired upon and did nothing to provoke the attack. The Earps drew first, meaning that the Clanton boys and the McClowry boys had been murdered in cold blood. The Earp's defense in court was that they were just walking down the street to find the Clanton boys to make sure that they would surrender their weapons after they entered town. While they were walking down the street, the sheriff ran up to them and told them, for God's sakes, don't go down there or you'll get murdered. The Earps and Holiday were a bit confused and they told the sheriff that they had no choice but to go down and check that they didn't have any weapons. Then the sheriff yelled after them, I've already disarmed them all, making the Earps and Holiday pause. They gave the sheriff the benefit of the doubt and cautiously put their guns back in their holsters and continued down the street. The Earp brothers and Holiday came upon the group in a skinny alleyway and Wyatt could see that Frank and Billy were armed with six shooters. Virgil told the group, boys, throw up your hands. I've come to disarm you. After a few seconds standoff, Billy and Frank drew first. Wyatt testified that Billy was aiming at him, but he chose to shoot Frank because he knew that Frank was a better shot. He shot Frank in the stomach. After about four shots were fired, Wyatt said that Ike Clanton ran towards him and grabbed his arm. Wyatt fought him off and pointed his pistol at Ike, but then saw that Ike had no weapons. So he told Ike, this fight has commenced. You either get to fighting or get away. And then Ike ran away down the street. The shootout was over in 30 seconds. 
And the part that also made this hard to know the truth during the trial was what people heard the sheriff and Wyatt say right after the shooting. Sheriff Behan ran around the corner after the shooting and called out, Wyatt Earp, to which Wyatt replied, you said they had no guns. The sheriff then yelled, I'll have to arrest you, to which Wyatt replies, any decent officer can arrest me, but not you. Wyatt said this to Behan because Wyatt felt like they were set up by the sheriff. The sheriff had a reputation in town of siding with the cowboys and letting them get away with many crimes. But for people who were on the cowboy side, they took what Wyatt said as he was angry because he thought he could kill them without retaliation. But in the end, the truth came out. Ike got caught up in a lie on the stand. Grasping at straws as his side of the story was unraveling before him, he tried to claim that the whole reason the Earp brothers and Doc tried to kill them was because Virgil Earp had stole money from a Wells Fargo stagecoach and they all knew it. But the courtroom laughed at him because the stagecoach he was talking about was a main story in the newspapers a few months back. The newspaper showed proof that all the money had been safely delivered to its destination. After this, it was found that the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday acted within the law and were set free. Virgil was later fired as marshal, however, and members of the cowboy gang retaliated against these men. On December 28, 1881, Virgil Earp was shot and wounded, but not killed by unknown assailants who were hiding in the second story of a building under construction. His left arm was badly injured and he could not use it the rest of his life. On March 18, 1882, Morgan Earp was playing billiards with his brother Wyatt when he was ambushed and was shot and killed. It became clear that there was no way to end this feud. The Earps and Doc Holliday decided that they needed to leave town. They were waiting to board a train one night, but two cowboys, Ike Clanton and Frank Stillwell, tried to ambush them. They chased off Ike again, because he's kind of a coward that we know by now, but Stillwell was not so lucky. Wyatt shot and killed Stillwell in cold blood to avenge the murder of Morgan. That triggered a change in him and the others. Sheriff Behan tried to arrest Wyatt the very next day, but the group drew a gun on him and headed out of town. They decided to take the law into their own hands and hunt down the rest of the men responsible for killing Morgan. It is called the Earp Vendetta Ride and it lasted about one month. In all, four men were killed. In addition to Stillwell, they hunted down Florentino Cruz, Curly Bill Broncus, and Johnny Barons. Johnny Ringo may have also been killed by the Earp brothers back in Tombstone. He was found dead with a bullet wound to his head. A warrant was issued for the group, but they left Arizona and no one ever came after them. Wyatt Earp also never killed anyone again. And that to me is the most compelling part of the story of the shootout at the OK Corral. You can see them as law gone wrong, or you can view them as serving out vigilante justice. After the Earps left, Tombstone quieted down and there were fewer cowboy-led crimes. There was a second fire in the town on May 25, 1882 that started in a Chinese laundry. It destroyed more than 100 businesses in the western half of Tombstone's business district, but rebuilding started right away. The mining companies were running into trouble in the early 1880s. In 1886, a well was drilled that struck water. The citizens were thrilled, however, this water began to seep into some of the mines. Equipment was needed in order to pump out the water. They used Cornish engines like the ones that were used at Comstock Lode of California in 1870s. Water was being pumped successfully from the Contention Mine and the Grand Central Mine 24 hours a day. 
However, on May 26, 1886, the pumping plant for the Grand Central Mine burned, the Cornish engine melted, and other equipment was damaged. Soon after this tragedy, the price of silver dropped. Mines began to laying off workers, and they left to find work in the copper mines in nearby Bisbee and other towns. Better pumps were brought in in 1890, and Tombstone's population increased for a bit. However, the silver mining never recovered up to the level of the early 1880s. By 1900, new flooding began again, and the mining stopped for good. The county seat was moved from Tombstone to the town of Bisbee, Arizona in 1929, and you would expect the Tombstone to become a ghost town. However, citizens have worked together to save the town. They saved the history by repairing and restoring the building. Boot Hill Cemetery, where Billy Clanton, Tom, and Frank McLowry are buried, as well as other pioneers, is still there and a popular place for tourists to visit. The famous shootout at the OK Corral is reenacted for visitors, and the courthouse and gallows are all part of a state historic park. While Tombstone is a great historic landmark, it is also famous for another reason, being haunted by many ghosts. Did you know that rating and reviewing your favorite podcast shows on iTunes is one of the best ways to help others find the show? Also, sharing the podcast with your friends and family will help spread the word that Historically Haunted is out there and waiting to be listened to. Please go to my website, historicallyhaunted.net, for more ways to support the show, like links to my Patreon page and more. Now that we have got a good overview of the town's dark history, it might not surprise you to find out that the whole town is reportedly haunted. Let's take a look at some of the most haunted places in Tombstone. Let's walk around that wooden sidewalk above the dusty street, and if you let your mind wander, you can imagine the sound of cowboy boots stomping on past you as if cowboys and miners never left. But you suddenly stop walking and look behind you because for a second it really did sound like boots walking closely behind you. And as you stare down the empty sidewalk, you wonder, could ghosts of Tombstone really be haunting the town? There are so many haunted places in Tombstone. Every building seems to have a ghost story, so I did my best to try to cover as many as I could. And before I start, please remember that this was all in the 1800s and the days of the old wild, wild west. So a lot of these stories are going to be about uh, women who did promiscuous activities. So if there are kids in the room, I just wanted to give a full disclosure that I will be talking about some historical references that talk about you know, women doing things. So I just wanted to give a disclosure out there now before I start my tour. We will be starting off this ghost tour at Boot Hill Cemetery. Boot Hill Cemetery was an operation from 1878 to 1884. It has over 300 graves. Boot Hill is full of people who met their fate in gruesome ways. The cemetery has done a lot of work to try to find out the history of who is in each grave. They have the history of 250 graves and the rest are unknown. For the graves that are known, they explain how each person died. For instance, there is a notorious grave that says, Here lies George Johnson, hanged by mistake, 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up and now he's gone. Among these graves are fallen cowboys, gamblers, and soiled doves. 
And for those of you who don't know, the term soiled dove stands for women who worked in prostitution. The cemetery got its name Boot Hill because this cemetery was meant for men, and sometimes women, who died with their boots on, meaning they did not die of natural causes, aka gunfights, stabbings, etc. Boot Hill cemeteries can be found all over the Old West, but this one is the most famous, not just because the victims of the OK Corral are buried here, but for its many ghosts. The paranormal activity at this location is described as being more of a poltergeist kind of activity. To enter the graveyard, you must pay $3 for a fee to enter, but for kids 15 years and younger, it's free. Boot Hill also has a gift shop. It's inside this gift shop that there is frequent paranormal activity. Workers and shoppers alike have said that they see shadow figures darting among the rows of merchandise, hearing footsteps and strange sounds when the shop is empty, and strange light activity as well. Objects have been known to move around. Staff will set up a display to come back a few moments later to find it all messed up when they know no one was in the building yet. Objects will often go missing or move from where you set them down last, and the sweatshirt rack has been known to rotate on its own. In the graveyard, the most famous ghost is Billy Clanton. His apparition has been seen wandering around the graves with his six-shooter on his hip. There is a ghost that people call the Lady in Red. She is believed to be the ghost of a woman called China Mary, but her real name was Sing Choi. Sing was in charge of running the general store and opium tents. She passed away of a heart attack in 1907, and ever since her death, she has been seen wandering around the mini tombstones in a red dress. There is an unmarked grave that people hear whispering from. I found an account of a journalist who was supposedly in the graveyard taking pictures when he heard a voice behind him. He turned around and looked at an unmarked grave and heard someone say, it was nice of you to do that. He turned around to try to ignore the voice and walk away, but then he heard the voice say, you come back, you must like to play with me a lot. He then realized that that was the voice of a little kid. He then saw a shadow figure move in the corner of his eye, and the journalist walked out of the graveyard as fast as he could. Strange things show up in photos when they are taken within the graveyard as well. The most common occurrence is the unaccounted guest. After a picture is taken of a group, there is someone else standing behind the group when there was no one there when the photo was taken. For our next haunted location on the list, we are going to take a walk down Allen Street. Allen Street is full of ghost sightings, so keep an eye out as you walk around. Perhaps the most often seen ghost is the woman in white. She has been seen walking down the sidewalk at night. She seems to follow the same route, walking from the courthouse to her old home before vanishing. No one really knows her story, but there is a legend that says that she was a madam of one of the brothels and she was caught stealing money from her clients. She was supposedly hung for her crimes. People have claimed to see her ghost for over 100 years. She has long blonde hair and is dressed in a white nightgown. People who have seen her said they have a feeling of sadness or dread. The lady in white is not the only ghost seen on Allen Street. Many people have claimed to see ladies in dresses and cowboys walking down the street before vanishing into thin air. The sound of boots on empty sidewalks has also been reported. One of the more interesting sounds people claim to hear is phantom gunshots. The ghost of Virgil Earp has been seen walking on the sidewalk in front of the Crystal Palace. Many people seem to think this is more of a residual haunting since he never interacts with anyone and he didn't die in this location. The ghost of Morgan Earp is said to haunt the Red Buffalo Trading Building. Today it is a store, but back in the 1800s it was the Campbell and Hatch Billiard Saloon. Morgan Earp was shot and killed while playing billiards here. 
Many people have reported seeing him walking around the area. However, Morgan's ghost is said to be a kind and helpful spirit. He likes to help restock and clean the shelves at night so the workers don't have to do it in the morning. Now that's my kind of haunting. If I ever live with a ghost and they feel like they want to do the dishes, by all means, please do my dishes. Cafe Margarita is known for a ghost who likes to be loud and prove he's there. One ghost story that comes to us from the cafe is very interesting. A woman claimed that she was inside the restaurant sitting at a table, and she said out loud that she did not believe in ghosts. After she said that, she was then sprayed with mustard from the bottle that was sitting on the table. This ghost also likes to make loud noises in the kitchen. If you are ever looking for a place to stay the night in town, try the Bufford House. Today it is a bed and breakfast, and the owners know that this house is haunted. The home was built in the early years of Tombstone by George Bufford. He was a mine owner and engineer, and he built the two-story home for his family. After he moved away, it became a boarding house. There are a few ghosts that like to wander around this home. One of the bedrooms upstairs has had guests claim to have seen an old woman sitting in a chair. One guest told her to get out because this was her room, but the old woman turned and looked at her and said, This is my room. You need to get out before vanishing into thin air. A strange light has also been seen upstairs. The description is of a bright light that looks like it is coming from the outside of the window as if there is a street lamp, but there is no street lamp outside, and then the light just fades away. The most famous ghost in the Bufford house is the ghost of George Davies, not to be mistaken for the original owner of the home whose first name was also George. George Davies was a man who grew up in Tombstone. He had a childhood sweetheart named Petra. By the time George was grown, he was living in the Bufford house and Patra lived across the street. George knew he needed to make an honest living so that they could be married. So he left to make money in a brand new mine that was 40 miles away. He worked hard for nine months until he made a good amount of money. Now a much wealthier man, he came back to Tombstone expecting to start planning his wedding, but he was shocked to find out that Patra had moved on while he was gone and was with someone else. George was devastated, and in the morning, his broken heart turned into a jealous rage. He got a revolver, walked across the street to Patra's house, and when she walked out of the house, he shot her four times and then turned the gun on himself. Miraculously, Patra didn't die. Ever since George's death, the ghost activity in the Bufford house has increased. He has been seen by the owners and guests. He likes to ring the doorbell in the middle of the night, and he is also known to turn the lights on and off. Female guests have had covers taken off their beds and felt like someone grabbed their butt. You're going to run into a lot of that in Tombstone with these hauntings. And personally, I don't know how I would feel getting groped from hands beyond the grave. I find that very creepy. George's ghost also likes to knock on the doors and windows. Another well-known spot for paranormal activity is Big Nose Kate Saloon. But this place has a weird history with a man called the Swamper. Today it is a restaurant, but back in the 1800s, it was the Grand Hotel. The hotel had a handyman who was known to be a little bit, well, on the odd side. He liked to be alone, and he lived in a small room in the basement. He was such a recluse, and he wanted his room to remain private. He was extremely protective of his space and wouldn't let anyone near his room. One day, workers and staff in the hotel noticed that they had not heard from Swamper for a few days. They decided to go check on him, and after no one answered their knocks and shouts, they opened the door, and what they found stunned them. 
Swamper had dug a hole right in the dirt floor. He dug his own private tunnel underneath the hotel to find silver from the five miles of mining tunnels that ran underneath the town. He had been secretly helping himself to silver. To do this back in the day, that was a pretty big deal. And the weirdest part of the story, his body was never found. The theories vary. Some think that Swamper had struck it rich, saved enough silver, and secretly left town one night so that he wouldn't get in trouble from the mine owners. Another story says that cowboys in town might have found out what he was doing and snuck in his room one night, stole his hidden loot, and killed Swamper, dumping his body in the desert or down the mine itself. Other people think he could have got lost in his own tunnel system and died underneath the ground. Today, you can go down in the basement and see his old room and the mining tunnel. Now, regardless of what happened to Swamper, he is a very prominent ghost in the saloon. Many believe that his ghost is still guarding his secret mine. Ghost Adventures went to check out the place in one episode, but sadly, someone in the saloon fell ill and they had to wait and could not do a full investigation inside. However, they did talk to a worker during the day who said that he was once walking down the hallway and he felt something grab his vest and try to pull him down to the basement. Other people who have gone around his room have reportedly been pushed by unseen hands. The Swamper is always blamed when things go missing or move around in the basement. People who have visited the upstairs part of the saloon have reported feeling random cold spots, hearing disembodied voices, as well as footsteps. Objects move quite a lot in the dining area as well. Chairs and glasses, silverware is often tossed across the room, and even a case of beer was knocked over on the basement stairs. One worker said that they felt clammy hands press against their throat. Apparitions of lawmen, miners, prostitutes, and cowboys have also been seen. The sound of singing and loud laughing can be heard from passers-by, even when the building is closed and locked up tight. The restaurant has mannequins that are often moved around and knocked over by unseen hands. Cameras have been known to malfunction and catch strange mists and orbs in photographs. Up next is the OK Corral. Just because the actual gunfight didn't happen at this location doesn't mean that the OK Corral is not a haunted hotspot. There have been many people who have claimed to hear and see cowboys walking around the area just to see them completely disappear before their eyes. Many have seen the apparition of a tall man in a flat-brimmed hat. Cold spots on hot days have also been reported. Another frequent occurrence is the sound of horses neighing and hooves thudding as if they are still in the stalls or even riding past you when the area is completely empty have also been reported. The Crystal Palace Saloon is yet another paranormal location in Tombstone. While people claim to see ghosts like Virgil Earp walking around the sidewalk of Allen Street, the inside of the saloon is also haunted. This building is original having survived both fires. It opened in 1879 as Golden Eagle Brewery. The saloon was a famous spot for Doc Holliday and his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Big Nose Kate. Kate was a lady of the night, but she and Doc were had a turbulent relationship. They would often stay at the Crystal Palace together, and they would have drunken rages so loud that people downstairs drinking or playing cards could hear them fighting. Today, workers and customers have claimed to see many apparitions. Keep in mind that you might see apparitions of naked or scantily dressed ladies in these buildings in Tombstone. This is one of the main claims in the Crystal Palace, seeing apparitions of prostitutes. Another ghost likes to walk to the bathroom and never leave. 
People have claimed to see a well-dressed man in the 1800-style clothing sit at a table. Then he stands up and walks to the men's restroom and disappears. He also likes to turn the lights on and off when people are using the restroom. He also turns on the water faucets and makes toilets flush. The apparition of a group of three cowboys are often seen standing near the stage, but they have also been seen sitting at tables before they wisp away into a puff of smoke. They have also appeared in photographs, but they are seen as more of a shimmer or smoke around the group. Besides many apparitions, shadow figures have been seen during closing hours. A roulette wheel likes to spin on its own, and people have seen strange wisps of smoke and strange lights with the naked eye. The sound of a pair of boots with spurs on have been heard in empty rooms, and doors like to slam on their own. Moving on now to Shifflin Hall. This was a theater that brought opera and upscale entertainment to Tombstone. The paranormal activity in this building is believed to be from performers of the past. There is a lady in red that is often seen, not the lady in red from Boot Hill Cemetery. This lady in red has been seen walking across the stage and stands behind you when you look into mirrors hanging on walls. It is believed that she is a ghost of an actress who used to work at the theater. There is a lot of poltergeist activity that is said to occur inside the theater as well. The piano often plays on its own as if a ghost is sitting there playing it. Objects like chairs and stools often scoot across the ground on their own. Doors close and even lock behind workers. And unexplainable battery drains happen to phones and cameras near the stage area. For our last haunted location, we are going to go to another theater. But this location is said to be the most haunted spot in all of Tombstone. And that would be the Birdcage Theater. In 1882, the New York Times called the Birdcage Theater the roughest, bawdiest, and most wicked night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. When the theater first opened, it was supposed to bring culture to town, but it ended up being the most ruthless brothel, gambling hall, and saloon in the West. 26 people died in the theater, and there are still over 140 bullet holes in the walls and ceiling. Back in the 1800s, it was said that a respectable woman would never walk on the same side of the street as the Birdcage Theater. While it was in operation, it was open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It is now a museum, but it appears that these cowboys and ladies of the night are still having quite the party. With so many deaths inside this theater, it is no wonder to think that this place is one of the most haunted places in town. One of the most famous deaths in the theater was the stabbing of Margarita. Margarita was a new prostitute in town, and she began to take a liking to a man that frequented the Birdcage Theater. Only problem was that he had a woman that did not like other ladies flirting with him. His girlfriend's name was Gold Dollar, and she worked down the street as a prostitute in the Crystal Palace. One day, she heard that Margarita was sitting on her boyfriend's lap at the Birdcage Theater. She ran down the street to the theater and confronted Margarita. Gold Dollar told Margarita that she would cut her heart out if she messed with her man again. Margarita then walked over to Gold Dollar's boyfriend and sat in his lap. This made Gold Dollar snap. She ran up to Margarita, grabbed her by her hair, then took a double-edged knife she had in her garter out and stabbed Margarita in the chest. She truly did try to cut her heart out until the men pulled Gold Dollar off of Margarita. Margarita died of her injuries and was buried at Boot Hill Cemetery. Many people think that they have seen the ghost of Margarita wandering around the theater. 
She is known for being more of a vengeful spirit, and she also pulls women's hair. People who have visited the theater claim that the room has filled with cigar smoke on several occasions. Also, the smell of lilac perfume has been reported. There have been hundreds of ghost sightings in this location, ranging from ladies of the night to cowboys. Back when it was in operation, the birdcage had what they called cribs around the top portion of the theater. This is where ladies of the night would stand peering down at the men below. Men could look up at the available ladies and pick what woman they wanted to, um, well, you know, pay to have a good time with. Now, people have seen ghosts of these ladies looking down on them. Some are naked while some are scantily dressed. The sound of movement from empty cages is a normal occurrence. An apparition of a woman in underwear and a stagehand have both been seen on the catwalk. Because this place was a brothel, it might not be a surprise to hear one of the main claims from people who work and visit the birdcage is feeling the sense of someone touching them. Women and men alike have claimed that they have felt like they got groped by unseen hands. And again, I find that really creepy. Strange mists and apparitions have been caught on security cameras, and people have claimed to see a naked woman walk down to the wine cellar before vanishing. Many of the disembodied sounds reported are of men talking and laughing, women talking and screaming, also the sound of card shuffling, poker chips, the roulette wheels turning, disembodied footsteps, and even phantom gunshots. Downstairs in the basement is where the longest poker game in history was played. This game cost you $1,000 to get in and went on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it lasted eight years, five months, and three days. This table today is super active. It's as if the men came back in the afterlife to continue playing the game. People have seen men sitting at the table playing cards, and the sound of cards shuffling and chips flying, along with men talking and laughing, have been heard. The props that are now on the table for the museum are said to move around constantly, and chairs move around too. Workers have gone into the gift shop to hear what sounds like a full house in the theater. The workers quickly open the door to see if anyone's there, and it is completely empty. Many people walking past the Birdcage Theater at night have said that they heard the piano music playing and raucous laughter coming from the dark, empty building. The ghosts of Tombstone seem to be here to stay. If you ever get a chance to go to this town, you might be lucky enough to walk away with proof that the history lives on in this old western town. I hope that you guys all enjoyed this fun episode about Tombstone, Arizona. I had no idea how haunted this place was. I'd always heard of the rough and tumble atmosphere, but wow. I had to take some time to narrow down the list of places I could cover because I could have made this show go on forever, but I didn't want it to last as long as the longest poker game in history. I will definitely be going to check out Tombstone someday. I cannot believe how many haunted locations. It seems like down every alleyway, behind every door, there's a story of a ghost lingering behind, and I love it. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode about Tombstone, Arizona. I can't wait to be back for more episodes soon. Please make sure to check out my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. All those links are down below, as well as my Patreon page link. Also, if you are listening to this on iTunes, please make sure to rate and review my podcast down below. It really helps me out, and it makes more people realize that my show's out there and waiting to be listened to. All right, you guys. I hope everyone stays healthy and safe, and I will see you guys back here again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.